0: this work and find what I'm doing here, and it really, really matters, um, as small as that may seem. So, if you could please do that uh, before we get into the show, I much appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Let's get into it. Peace.
1: Peace. I'm majestic. My brother, Justice Raji.
0: Yeah. So, um as we record this, we are um, at the close of the decisions of the current sitting. Uh, supreme Court of the United states for um you know the twenty twenty three season i suppose I think, that's, I think thats how they call it, and you know as expected uh <laughs> and, and, and maybe this is the entry point into even our discussion of this but the um you know they effectively saved the the best for last uh to you know effectively end um at least race conscious decision making in college admissions um uh but before we that i don't want to just fixate on that because you know all of the uh why does everything have to be about race people we're going to get their blood pressure up and i want to wait a couple minutes in before i get those people brush blood pressure up because um, <laughs> you know y'all got it coming um the but generally you know. As I say, you know, on some issues where you would think that they would just go, well, you know, we all are sort of like super because we have a super conservative majority. So we're just going to go like with the most super conservative expected outcome, regardless of the facts on all of these cases. But, you know, you know, and I don't know if they I don't know. I don't know if they in their process in any way are conscious of their other decisions that they're making. I would think that they are, because at least someone, someone obviously makes a schedule <laughs> that they release these on. Um, right. But in any event, um, so a lot of things of national import were decided on. I mean, we'll come back to the affirmative action, but um, I, I, I think at least in a potential win for uh, voting, in electoral representation, you know, Louisiana uh maps have to be redrawn. They uh they did, you know, at least rule against the very, I think, fantastically silly idea that uh state legislators legislatures do not have to respect the rule of their own state courts. <laughs> or
1: a, any other courts, like the, or any other courts. Like, you know, the originalism, yeah, like state legislators are the full you know, the kind of like fulcrum of all decision making,
0: which could only be the product of people who are like, I am so determined to do something wrong that I'm going to find any way to make it right. That's right up there with the like sheriffs don't have to adhere to anybody's authority, they're the, <laughs> they're the supreme champion of the county, like,
1: yeah. Referring to your justice, type. like, what are we, who are you people? Um, um, yeah, so but I think there's, I think, let me just say this I think there's a, a thing there. Mm-hmm. The, They are people who are really interested in power. Mm. Mm. And when you're interested in power, you're going to shift a lot of stuff around for it to make sense in the context of what you are doing. So for example, the on his head asinine idea that state legislatures would have supreme power over federal government courts or anybody else, which upends a whole host of things, which says that the courts actually have control over what the state legislature does. Right. So it upends hundreds of years of American legal thought, Mm -hmm. but it's, it, it really, to me, insightful look into like, you know, we've talked about this at length prior, there were folks who decided, you know what, we, there's some stuff we can't control, so you know what we can not control? We're going to control the courts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to control control courts and state legislatures, <laughs> right? <laughs> Those are the two places that conservatives and Republicans, generally speaking, have a lot of control because that's where they focus control. Yeah. And so I think this experiment, unfortunately, that we're all living through, is the experiment of a group of people who have ideas, whether they feel they've been vetted or not, and have then doggedly pursued and spent billions of dollars to create the environment in which they would like to see. Mm. Even if it does not act on behalf of the vast majority of us. Yeah. I think it's destructive.
0: Yeah. Yeah point. That's a good point. And um so like the the number of what's the other that's another one that's important in there that I wanted to flag um or see if uh so we got we said said the Louisiana affirmative action, the
1: uh uh, uh well yeah you have, you have Louisiana affirmative action. We wow. have uh, the uh, religious accommodations.
0: The political accommodations.
1: We didn't right. want to work on the Sabbath. Right, they didn't uh, work on the Sabbath. The, the LGBTQ, uh, uh, like the, the wow. how they framed this First Amendment voice uh, conversation around serving right. people. Serving people, yeah, that, and, that you don't want to
0: say. Like, Sabbath never help someone do something you don't want to basically do because of your religious convicted right. but they framed it as a freedom of speech right I think, uh case under or was it yeah um and then the um or like the state couldn't compel you to do yes stuff. yeah that's what it is okay and then the um student law loan. student loans uh, yeah and there's some other stuff in there that probably will also i'm sure legal scholars you know what i'm saying we love you you know what I'm saying I'm not trying to leave nothing out. So, said I just set the table. I guess is there any one of those that you feel you have a particularly strong
1: thought about, or any of the of the uh, um, outcomes that you want to? Ask? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. I'm probably gonna be a little. Uh, I know some folks that listen to us might throw some tomatoes at me. <laughs> I'm gonna start here with this one, but you know. Got to be, I want to be authentic. Here's why y'all listen, right? I think the student loan one was expected. In my estimation, student loan conversation was a political idea that in some ways should have stayed political because it probably, it wasn't going to pass muster in the courts. So what I mean by that is this, yes, if the premise is there's debt and you want to release, release debt from people, and then the other premise is that in times of, you know, American, you know, economic drama, we bail out banks, so we should bail out people, right? I'm not debating whether that is whether that is true or not, right? Mm-hmm. But, but the conversation of were you going to be able to just eliminate debt? whole hog, right? Mm -hmm. Four millions of people from a Supreme Court perspective probably wasn't going to pass. And I don't know one court it would have (laughs) passed, right, in the past. I mean, one could argue that, but I don't know if in the Obama courts it would have passed. I don't know. You know what I mean? So I just put that out there. Um, Again, not that I agree or disagree with the idea, but more once it got to the courts at that level because it then not becomes it's a political thing that then becomes does the president have the ability to just sight unseen do that right because it wasn't going to pass congress in any kind of way you know what i mean so you have you have an idea that in a sense would have needed a lot of political runway that didn't have the political runway so it went to more of a you know, executive function, but executive function was questioned by people who didn't want that to happen because they wanted you to pay them, even though you're paying mostly fees and not actually principal, right? So, mm-hmm. anyway,
0: yeah, that's, um,
1: the,
0: uh, that's the thought on the student loan one. Yeah, it, it's like it—it it gets into, to me, the the where I saw, I thought that too was also going to get. Overturn and not really like they're not almost really because like the people who are overturning wanting who are suing are really suing on this is not an evaluation of the 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 moral clarity of their motivations right um but that it's like you it's like it's to me my understanding from studying some of these and how we got to this particular aspect and the idea of just like yeah the president and the executive branch just says we don't you don't know it no more and then you just don't right was seemed like it to me was sort of rooted in the origin that seemed a little bit specious. <laughs> kind of like you know, like I understand I mean first of all, one love to my man Joe Biden, who made sure that the student loan for public service program worked the way it was supposed to when i agreed to work in public service and therefore be able to get some of my loans forgiven and was appropriately rewarded finally after paying you know after i paid a significant amount of money joe's my guy you know what i'm saying and any of y'all got an issue with my man joe and making sure that the government did what it said it would do due to me committing my life to public service okay or at least a significant part of it me and you could go talk outside the back of this bus western that i'm staying at right now you know what i'm saying i mean but, I but, but let me say but so let me there's say structure there right there's structure to that, right
1: there's structure there's <laughs> structure there about a, a commonly agreed concept now again we can you know there's a whole bunch of debates there but we could agree that there's a agreement in that there was agreement in society of sorts that if you serve the public in some capacity right your loans could be forgiven. Yeah. You know, versus yeah. like, I got these loans, get them off my back. Which again, to your point, it becomes not just about whether it's your loan or not. It becomes about, can the president just say, just absolve debt yeah, or any executive, right? And would you want, would you want maybe the next president to be able to absolve, absolve people's debt in that way? Like you know no.
0: yeah and and so like, so i I had this I, like the way and even the like in you know, and i I would say there's these folks talking to people who didn't you know weren't totally enthralled with this as a plan, but did say, well, look, there's a lot of people that are going to have their you know a a, a burdensome debt forgiven, you know i I think though the You know, I wasn't surprised that it didn't didn't pass muster, even if I even if I do sort of question sort of, you know, the selective application of the idea of trying to interpret, you know, what Congress said, said you could couldn't do. Um, And again, I don't I don't trust the, you know, the 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 motives of those who opposed it, because I think those people would would probably more than likely love to have my loans reinstituted and say, well, we don't care if you did something. You, you served in a public sector roles that probably paid you less money than what you could have earned doing some other thing in the private sector. And therefore, you know, it sucks to be you take back this uh, twenty nine thousand dollars. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right. it, so there's like these deeper questions about, you know, what incentives, um, service and then, you know, and, and not to mention that I mean, I guess the other a large underlying thing is the predatory industry that has been created around student loans, that coincides with, as I see it, a promotion of an idea of the return on, um, really intentionally misleading people about what costs they should bear to get an education, right? Like right. you know, and, and and you know, in a mix of. Social stigma that may keep people away from public entities that would cost them less money (laughs) to go to school to, or public entities that also don't seem to grasp that if they were more flexible, they would make themselves more accessible to those who want to further their education, um, but you know have jobs and other real world concerns. So therefore, you know your community college primarily operating on a schedule that isn't compatible with working people is bad, and it leaves opens the door for you know, fill in the blank private, you know, online or or otherwise school that will let you take your classes from uh, 6.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. every day, you know what I'm saying, instead yeah. of your local community college that would maybe only cost you, even if you paid out of pocket, you know, three, 000, four thousand dollars to take a whole course <laughs> every year, right? It, it, that's even if,
2: like, you mm-hmm.
0: probably could be less in a lot of places. Um, so like, you know, we had these other issue over here, you know what I'm saying? Not to say that the Supreme court cared about that. Um, but just saying that that's sort of the backdrop where this falls into and to me, and then that you have a bigger conversation about like, how do we make the tools that allow people to access, you know, um, learning, um, uh, processes to get to skills or trades or professions that require, you know, certain uh, learning, <laughs> and, and 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 actually commit to the idea that we want people to achieve these things. We don't want them, to to and them, them, be kind of rationing them. Um,
1: anyway, so yeah, so I've well, we that. I think we created a well, I think one we created a system that incentivized certain places over other places. To your point. Mm-hmm. And then the cost of that incentivizing. It, it's kind of like this piece of if you, there's a, you know, shout out to Hyundai. They're really big in South Korea and all over the world. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to frame Hyundai as like a cheap car. This is not 1989. Um, But there's, you got to get a Hyundai or you get a BMW, right? Now you could choose to try to do both. But the difference in education is kind of like if you bought the BMW, you have like a better life, right? <laughs> Which I guess they do try to say, <laughs> but like, and and other things will occur, but that is so much more expensive, and it might be out of your range. Versus to get a Hyundai first and BMW later, As people are almost, you know, feel compelled. Whether they are or not, they feel compelled to get the BMW first, so they they feel compelled to go to these schools with really high fees and. Versus maybe moving to them, maybe later in uh, their educational process. And that we've just had that for so long. And then you get to a place of the diminishing returns, frankly, broadly of 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 forms of education. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't mean diminishing returns like it's not as important. I mean, if you were getting educated because you were going to ply a trade in the market. Right. And there was a time where having certain degrees was the only way that you were able to, as my father used to say, get across the water. Mm-hmm. And so up in, you know, for most of our contemporary history, a degree itself was a separating factor between yourself as an educated person and a professional and people who were not going to be professional. Mm-hmm. Yep. As that space started to shrink and the kind of degrees you got where you got your degrees from and the other bets of like skills-based hiring right because now we have a term skills-based hiring which essentially means like you could have learned the things you learned in college if you worked somewhere for this amount of time where well, we never said that before in society yeah right where that was never a conversation so m- my point is basically the diminishing returns of you getting degrees with high fees and very expensive has now created another challenge in our broader system. So we incentivized paying a lot of money for education and in all but a couple places that very, almost guarantee you employment, but they don't guarantee you employment because of maybe what you learned it again to you employment also because of who you met.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. right.
1: Which I think is an important people thing for people to remember that a lot of times we're spot. The thing about our education is yes, it's your professors, but it's also the people you're going to meet there and the relationships you're going to build, which start to have innumerable benefits for you for the rest of your life. So I'll, I'll stop there around the whole, the whole thing of education, but I do think it's important to your point around what has our society incentivized and the underlying premise of what have we allowed the financial services industry to do, in the sense of like having people come out with this amazing, ba- like, load of debt mm-hmm. that they literally won't pay off for like 30 years. All right. You know. Yeah.
0: But yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So what other, what other ones were on you?
1: So, so that, that, you know, that was one. And, and then I, I think, and I've, I'm, I'm sharing this in the context of some of the riots that are going in the uprisings going on in France right now, right on the killing of a 17 year old uh, North African. He was a French young man, but his family was from North Africa
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the suburbs of Paris. And they've had like, you know, days of days of uprisings and burning and a whole bunch of other stuff right burning down shopping malls and shit and I'm so I'm using this as a backdrop to this conversation around First Amendment rights and the idea of religious accommodations, right whereas in other places in France they don't want to recognize religion, which is why a lot of people feel oppressed right mm-hmm. and so that's where you get the like you know, women uh, Muslim yeah. women yeah. can't wear hijabs and stuff, and you know in what sports, I mean. Sports, yeah, yeah, because it's just like we don't recognize it. This liberty means we don't talk about it, right? Yeah. Which I think ties into some things you're going to talk about around race consciousness. Mm-hmm. We're in America; we're seeing this context. We're putting the centrality of religion and religious accommodation and religious perspective under the guise of First Amendment rights we're making that much more central in american society right now and i think that the religious accommodations for the postal worker who didn't want to work on the sabbath is going to start having huge impacts on work and employment mm-hmm. because now someone can defend actually like supreme the supreme court said i don't really have to, <laughs> i can go to the uh i can go to the the temple today I can go to the masjid. As long as I got my work done, why can't you allow me to do it under religious accommodation? Yeah. Which I think is going to have a lot of reverberations. And then the other part around as a as a business, if I disagree with a message, I don't have to serve you. Again, I know Hobby Lobby was a big issue a couple of years ago, but I think this is like also a big issue that we just need to look at around this idea of religious perspective becoming much more central from the supreme court which is a result of that conversation we talked about of 50 years of advocacy from the heritage foundation and other folks right but religion right now from a court and a legal perspective is allowed to be much more central in how America sees things in juxtaposition in France, but in some ways it's it's like this this you know kind of one eighty, but I do think we should be much more thoughtful around what that's going to look like in our society going forward, yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, I think it's important to footnote to at least from my reading on in the past on in France is um. You know, they, they, there's a sense that they, they stay that folks who still want to, like, wear their hijab and other things that are expressions of their, you know, that balance of religion and culture is not letting, they're, they're not trying to fully join the French experiment operation right. when they do that, right? And so we have to hear this um, piece, which, um, and, and again, I'll say because, and it's how I feel, it's how I see it. Some of these people I question, you know, the moral clarity of their intentions. Um, but the idea that like, yeah, I don't wanna I my understanding, I don't wanna be, you know, one I can understand. I, I think I think the one on accommodations, like generally for stuff like, you know, yeah, like you go you do your spiritual, you know, services or your your Sabbath or you know, when you commune, you know, with, with within within the practice of your your value system, um, that being something that your employer should respect, I think is I think that's a reasonable, it's a pretty reasonable deal. You know what I'm saying? Right. And um, and I read, I think there was um, I can't I don't want to be out here misquoting the legal scholarship, but like the the changing of the language of a previous rule that basically it was like if it if it had a minimal impact on the on the on the employer then they should do it which then like kind of opened the door that like, well, every is gonna say, well, that nothing has a minimal impact. <laughs> Everything has a major oh. impact. Therefore, your ass is working through Friday prayers. Like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we, we are not we are not going to stop the factory, you know what I mean, for, for three hours on Friday. So y'all could go, you know what I mean, if I have a, a plurality of uh, you know, um, you know, Muslim staff and say, look, we're gonna shut down some folks, brothers, sisters, whomever can go. Go go to Juma, then they're gonna come back <laughs> and we're gonna go back to work, or whatever the case may be, or we're not gonna work on Saturdays, or we're not gonna work on Sundays, or you know, I'm sure there's some other religious traditions that have other guidelines, you know, um, that at a different time in American society, you know, businesses did make adjustments to adapt to the populace of their work worker base because it was like, well, you, you could try to make them come in here, but they ain't coming. <laughs> right know like,
2: no that's very true
0: Yeah, you know i mean now you know i know there were other national implication of the blue laws that we grew up in with where like literally stuff wasn't open on sunday sometimes right like you like might not be able to get eggs <laughs> if you wait to the wrong time of day on a sunday right the yeah. days are gone now we don't remember that but and that was you know under the idea of making space uh for other things not to intrude on what was seen as the largest footprint of, you know, a religion in, in our country in terms of like the majority of folks being Christian and therefore Sundays being, you know, you know, supposed to be about the church and stuff. You know what I'm saying? So like because that's a distant memory. So I think, you know, definitely folks younger than us. It doesn't, you know, uh, and unless you're in a part of the country where either due to population, you know, size mean you're maybe in a smaller area where, yes, it's it's shut down on Sunday for the most part. Like, like it might be a little bit, you know, but I remember even just recently, a couple of years ago, riding, driving back up from California with family. and, And I think just by the coincidence of our timing, I think we were, it was like Easter weekend. I think I think it, or it was Easter Sunday, and we stopped in Reading, California. Just you know, get gas, try to get something to eat, and like mad stuff was closed. Right, you know, people like it's Easter. We closed. You know what I mean? And and if you hadn't been in an area that was just you know, got, and then like, nobody told anyone. It wasn't like a government decree. <laughs>
1: nobody just opened.
0: Everybody in, in in balance said, "Yo, we ain't open." So say that. Say the the other. Um, interesting aspect of that, though, is sort of the, um, you know, like where does that go next? Because there's definitely there's already cases and things people raising. That's like, well, you know, if if we're gonna if this is what we're gonna do, based <laughs> on religion, there's there's some there's some challenges here. Like, you can't um the majority of the cases that we've seen have been you know primarily raised by folks that were you know definitely you know more conservative activists you know trying to move to counter um uh what is they see as an encroachment to engage in stuff that doesn't align with their their perspective their religious practice um and there's other folks that you know are similarly um you know having like well actually all these other things <laughs> are actually a part of the tradition of these religions. And therefore, you can't say, I'll just say this, coming to an abortion case near you um, in in the near, probably in the next year, a couple of years, is saying, hey, these laws run afoul of long-time religious traditions that have rules on this stuff. And you, the state, can't do that. (laughs) Right? So that's going to be interesting when we get there. Um, The,
1: uh, yeah, so, The uh, which, which, uh, I mean, I know we kind of led into a little earlier, you kind of already let people know, you know, what was coming their way, but uh, let's talk a little bit about this affirmative action case. All right,
0: and and your take. I'm I'm out here, hold back, huh? All right, here we go. All right, first thing I'm gonna say is all to me, I mean, one. We should all just say it out loud that there's been no structural change, no real change in the underlying facts that inform this case. <laughs> um, the only thing that has changed is the from the last suburb action case of some kind, the Texas one, uh, the uh, what, I can't remember the exact last one. Um, the only thing that has changed is the justices on the court and how they see the world. Um, but the essential idea of us saying that race is the only odious factor to consider in any in a space that is making a selective decision. So, first of all, you know we should all understand that selective universities are are not the majority of the universities that we have access to. <laughs> that most people are likely to go to Um, right. institution like Harvard that only admits 4% of the people who apply. And so the idea that race, so uh, social class, uh, you know, legacy sports and other things, grades, and even th- this, this construct of merit that some people, you know, and I ain't saying the idea of merit just in the broad idea that like, you know, you have earned something, I suppose, based on your your work or evidence of your ability or whatever, um, is totally like not a real thing. I think some people are way over. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that. Um let I me mean, compose my thought here. The idea that race is the only odious factor, or this thing that in living memory of our parents, um, grandparents that we both new and got to love um stories real and apocryphal you know what i'm saying um for you know experiences certified and rumored that you could expect as a as a as a black person that your race would be a, could be the vital factor in you losing your life losing opportunity losing access to systems and services that you pay for you uh in almost any of our observable systems you can find disparate outcomes that can be predicted (laughs) by race currently right now like as we speak um for everything from where you might happen to live uh comorbidities as affected by covid proximity to uh, hazardous waste <laughs> materials, uh you name it. You could you could do it right now. So in that context and in the society, that again they're going back to that living memory, where the last, I guess, official lynching on the records, nineteen fifty nine. Um, you know, depending on how you want to when the, those uh clan members chained that man to a back of a car in the eighties and killed him, if you want to count that. Uh, I don't know, wherever the footmark, whereas a black person, you could think, well, if I go over to that street, someone may hurt me. And not only may someone may hurt me, they may hurt me. And then other people would be like, well, why was that black person over on that street? He must have been up to no good. I mean, they don't even live over there. And you could have like the realistic expectation that the federal the government and so-called prote- and protective apparatuses would not protect your civil or uh, other rights. And this is this is a a thing like we know this. So, given that context of this country, where again we have on record folks in the past who were like, "Well, they weren't they weren't really concerned with race. They put it right in the Constitution. They said three fifths of a person for tax purposes, um, among other things. It's a totally race-conscious document. Um, The underlying (laughs) argument, even at the inception of the Fourteenth Amendment, was, well, then this turns into discrimination against like. Not whites. It gives the Negro unfair advantage. Like literally, before we ain't even everybody hadn't even got out of full bondage, and they was like, "Well, you're gonna give the Negroes too much help." Like even then, so it's, it's the exact same argument, basically. Um, so to land in this place where we all knew what's coming, because you know that, that it, it's just super, it's fantastically frustrating and ridiculous, right? Race as a factor does not mean all the other factors that one would achieve or use to evaluate someone's circumstances. and it, it it doesn't render those other things unreal. It just means we're aware of it. because if you think that now, next year's class at interval for those schools, that the black students that come in are not going to hear from some other peer, That well, you got this you you people will still, and I say you people mean you people who lean on these ideas. And if you ain't one of them people, don't get all in your damn hackles. You people that say these things will still trade in the idea that if a black person is present in a space you do not think they belong, you're going to assume they got special advantage. And that is not rooted in us. (laughs) That's a that's a that's a them people issue. But I feel I, I feel that this type of case is predicated on this idea that like, well, you know, they're like, well, they should just let in the best people. Well, I mean, I guess, but I've met some of the folks from some of these institutions. And you know, I ain't saying they're not, you know, smart or whatever, but some of them ain't the best people. They ain't the best humans. They like I've met so I've met people all walks of life. And sometimes i will be like, "Oh wow, they let you up in there? Hmm. Cool, right?" Like this is the the larger issue I see with it is, and I've read and I've read this because I've read you know even the most recent article um, that was in Politico with the the black brother black man California, buy prop to oh, line.
1: Oh, War, war kind of, Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That then the next thing is. We want to make sure they don't try to still use race by some other means, which means we are going to intentionally scrutinize every black admission to these spaces. Regardless, if, so so even though we kick the rule out, we're still going to question if you're supposed to be there. And anyone who says they wouldn't do that. Oh, no, they will. You try to tell me in California schools right now, if you're a black student at one of those selected UC systems, you still receive the exact same scrutiny from your peers that you don't belong here. It that is not rooted in the rule, it's rooted in other people's continued investment in you know, you well, know, I guess I, I guess it's a good place to say it white supremacy. I guess I'll throw it in there. I, you know, I, you know, I, I don't like bringing, the, bringing up that thing all the time because I feel like we'd be overfixed, you know, it's too much. So, right, right. And then, and then to my well, this country's fixation on race to me. It is a protective factor. If if race was some other word, if we if we said with like we could just be a like it was a nationality or a place that we were all from that we called not race like black people, knowing our position, our experience, and our circumstance, when we come in a room, you see me as you see me, and whatever you've been told about people who look like me, who sound like me, who have my story. I then have to engage with to get the work done that I came in the room to do. And just because you feel, I don't know what people, I feel like it's, I feel like it's people's personal insecurity about what that means, that then it's projected into a public policy conversation that we're somehow supposed to ameliorate by going like, well, we're just going to get in on merit. So is merit, just SAT scores and grades when we know that for most folks getting into college and the predictive factor of success is actually access to the financial resources to stay in college. Like that's the number one predictor. If you got the money, you can knock it out. Like it's just, it's ridiculous to me. It's frustrating. um, Because this is like it'll always be reversed to to, to turn the idea to be like the, the black person didn't belong here um but everyone else is here probably totally belongs here regardless if we've actually done any scrutiny to their background their capacities uh or anything else and um and then also, I was like, you know, just because you, your mama said you was really good and you should get into every school you got want to get into, and you ain't get into it. That ain't my problem, dog. Like, maybe they just ain't want you. <laughs> maybe you're, maybe you just did they just didn't want you. You know what I'm saying? And it, it, it's just, and I, I know the under, the next foot that then goes with that is it opens the doorway that the idea of acknowledging race in any context is bad or that the overwhelming responsibility is not to try to remediate the harm of the past, as well as prevent ongoing status quo that disenfranchises or, or excludes us. We need to be overly protective of like everyone else in the equation, but the black people <laughs> or the perceived black folks, but that's where we're going. And it's like, you know, it's one thing to, to know that you know, and then constantly the other thing. like, OK, well, what does that mean for me in terms of making and being in the world in the way that I want to be in the world? And almost like fighting a shadow of something and then knowing people are going to be like, well, nah, we totally did a total race neutral evaluation in this situation. So, you know, we definitely got to the right answer. And it's like, hey, that not, you know, just, no, just, you know, you probably didn't. Um, you're probably going to. Still lean on their the cognitive function that has a bias towards away from black people. Um, and um, none of this or banning affirmative action is not going to stop, uh, you know, Fortune 1000 companies from <laughs> that already questioned the credentials of black and brown folks from continuing to question the credentials of black and brown folks, right? Like.
2: Uh...
0: I think I did a pretty good job of not being too angry there
2: I
1: tried I think tried to stay because I could go more I think you did I mean I, I, so one when and this is specifically about the the case the the idea that race is not a marker, but legacy is still allowed to be a marker, for example because mm-hmm. if you said, okay, race is you know race shouldn't be a marker because you feel like this to be real, somebody white or a particular group of Asian students felt like they were not allowed access. But you still will allow anyone whose family went there to get a leg up on anyone else who is applying. Mm -hmm. But you still will allow that as a factor. You still will allow gender as a factor. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it didn't say we got rid of gender. As a a thought. It's just saying we got rid of race alone. So to your point, the fact that we only used one factor out of all the rest of them. Now, thoughtful places will start to use a more. A weighted index, right? Thoughtful folks will use a process by which, you know. They will take uh, multiple things into consideration and. Willfully, they will continue to be as diverse as they have been, and if not more so. Places who didn't want to do it, this is their reason not to do it. And you'll be able to clearly see who wanted to do it, who didn't want to do it by what schools get a lot whiter. Whiter in particular, because I don't even think you're going to see a huge boost even in the... uh, even in the UC, uh, the California, a decision from the nineties, you saw a, a small Asian, a small bump of Asian populations, but a huge white rise. Yeah, yeah, and and a,
0: and a and a you know multiple percentage point of black and Latino students no longer getting into those schools.
1: Right. So you know that that's what you see. So I think it'll be it'll be really clear. Uh, what you see but yeah the fact that like legacy still allowed which is that some reason in a place where we had conferred benefit to particular populations and harmed others from doing it that they get to continue to come and get weighted because this now also the premise is here's the thing if you're getting into the selective schools like this and you got extra weighted because you were black They're still saying that you were a one of the one of four percent of people in the country. Right. That qualified or in that class, I qualified. because here's the thing. If a person plays sports, no matter what their race, they can still get in with lower grades anyway. Yep. That doesn't change that at all. So, this is really a stalking horse for the idea of legal folks to not allow conferred benefit to Black people, but still allow all the other forms of benefit. Mm -hmm. When a place has taken away benefit from a people for hundreds of years, halfway allowed benefit (laughs) as a part of something for the last maybe 30 or maybe 50, And now that's being struck. So, again, I take it back to the power context. This is what happens when you have. Mm -hmm. Judges who act on behalf of ideas of, of, of recompense and revenge. This is what happens when people spend time with a 50 year plan to control the courts and then that way control the contours of of American policy. And this is what happens when people don't care as much as they should about these things in the context of what gets done in America, because what gets done in America is not what you deserve. It's what you negotiate bargain and make happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is one of those things along with Roe v. Wade, which I think, you know, obviously, you know, uh, brought folks just back to thinking like, okay, yeah the thing you love, the thing that you the the biggest impact of Donald Trump being president was the impact that he had in the ability to to pack that court
2: mm-hmm.
1: which will be seen felt and heard far beyond the four years of his foibles and you know slapstick comedy regrettable slapstick comedy mm-hmm. um But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see, you know. I also say this to to the, you know, black folks. Some of whom think or, you know, think that they'll be harmed by this, you know. Might want to give another look to the HBCUs. Um, You know, HBCUs who kind of want to get ready and people don't want to live in trailers. So, you know. Yeah. Start, start thinking about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, and, and again, for me, as a person whose families attended HBCUs, but I did not. Um, I think this is and we should be anywhere we want to be. So let me start there. Yeah. However, there is also an understanding of. If somebody didn't want you to be somewhere, where would you go? And I think it's up to all of us, whether you are, whether you went to HBCU or not, to know that they are still relevant and frankly will be more relevant in times to come. Yeah. And to empower them so that there are places where Black people can be educated at the highest levels of education for when things like this do occur. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. The only thing I'll say on it is, um, it just because it, it, it as it pertains to education um, is also to remember <laughs> for those that go like if you got into fill in the blank selective university you know, or at least got a, a nudge you got a nudge because of your racial you know how you showed up race wise you still had to go do all the the work to get the degree right. Um, like you don't you don't just sign up like I didn't go to, we didn't we both didn't get to pit that first September and they said here's your degree have a great four years whether you do classes or not <laughs> right <laughs> but pertaining to those student loans they didn't say hey man here's the bill <laughs> student loans you go get you know take the classes or don't take the classes like right like the bill got higher because I took more classes, right? And then you know later we got a master's teacher. but like all of that. Just the like, I don't. I just never really understand how they, how the people, because because the underlying thing to me here is also again like the folks who trade in the idea that there's some diminish in the outcome if you had an opportunity, something that gave you some level of favorability over someone else, or as opposed to someone else in your access to the opportunity. Um, then the other thing I think is important, and it speaks to. Um, You know, I think it's a sidecar to, you know, attending HBCUs, uh, attending also, you know, in some of our states are, you know, a lot of states got great land grant state institutions. Um, sometimes they don't want you there <laughs> as a black or brown person but um or at least maybe the institution may want you there but i don't know they may be indifferent to you but there are people there who are going to still also again question the idea that you belong in the university because of whatever they've been told about how the world is composed um and then you have to deal with those people while you're trying to like you know study biochemical something or astrophysics or uh psychology whatever the case may be psychiatry um that you uh you still have to do the work uh you still have to um like if you're good at something you're good at it and although there may be more people who are good at or good at maybe a higher level at uh you know physics at at Harvard I imagine in their their entry level physics class then your physics it's still physics so wherever you're learning physics it's physics physics is physics <laughs> you know what i mean the laws of the universe They don't they don't give they didn't go like well did they talk about that at Yale or did they talk about it at at um <laughs> the University of Maryland cuz you know you know force equals you know the, right. The underlying laws of thermodynamics have a have a preference for Ivy idly,
1: like. <laughs> right. right. They, they said it in somewhere somewhere in the northeast.
0: <laughs> right. Like it. Like there's a value to it, but there's also a place where it's like, hey, man, go where you need to go to learn the things you need to learn, and then you know, it starts again. Opens the question of if we are centering these institutions as places. Um. I mean, me. I mean, I guess. Oh, that's what I was going to. That I forgot. So one, these institutions are great, and I'm sure I know some great people that have gone to some of these different, you know, highly selective institutions. Um, but also, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, don't get too drawn up with all that. But the other thing is, you know, economic, economics, economists, and shout out to the economists out there that have done this already. They've already told us that the return on investment for paying for five fantastically expensive colleges is not there for most people, and therefore. You really shouldn't do it, <laughs> even if you the status and other things that may be passed to you, um, may be something that you covet or may be useful. But for most folks, you know, risking you know four or five hundred thousand dollars a debt to go, you know, say I have a degree from Dartmouth, um, it's probably not going to return to you what you paid. <laughs> And, uh, you know, now that doesn't mean the world should all be based on the transactional value of a, a concept of value that we've, you know, we create all the concepts of value. But, you know, in, in this particular one, but it is something to raise that if we center these institutions um, that are highly selective and then assume that folks that come from these institutions should somehow be um, well positioned to, you um, be leaders in the in the apparatus at apparatuses that serve people that they have no relationship with you know it starts to get to be like mm, maybe these places shouldn't be um given the esteem that they're past or at least for us is it is it a winning strategy um to get the world that we want to get to um but also uh you know there's still some suckers for that and it's, it's some clown shoe stuff and the nerve of we we maybe we could stop discriminating based on race by stopping to discriminate on race no shit sherlock like word i think my grandfather could have told you that one too bad no one in your 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 generation seemed to have the temerity or the intestinal fortitude to adhere to it without people raising hell for over you know 20 30 years so you know it's uh i appreciate um Justice Jackson's, <laughs> uh, has been quoted a lot. Like, just kind of going like, just because y'all with all this, y'all go, y'all go say it up here, act like outside people ain't still discriminating. That's this is a Justice paraphrase of what Justice Jackson said. Right. I'll, I'll go get the full quote at a later date. Um, for those that want to go read it. So, but I would suggest at least. I mean, it's two hundred thirty-seven pages. So I haven't read the whole. Um, I don't know if I'm going to read all of the. Uh, the uh what is it the winning opinion side just because i I don't need to read however many hundred pages are going like we totally really care about race not being a factor except for when it comes down to where when you live next to a trash dump then we're like well you know efficiency of government and and you could move you can move somewhere else you can sell your property like you know um anyway I don't know, anything else on Supreme Court?
1: No, I mean, I think, you know, I'll say that while Chief Justice Roberts voted with the conservative faction of the conservative majority, rather, of the court as we expected it to, it's probably been a little less, you know, bizarre Bizarre, but maybe a little less bizarre than maybe many would have expected. Um, doesn't make it right, and it again goes back to you know, you get the things that you advocate that you or, and that you organize for, you know. And and I want to put this in the context of people's outrage around this, and then saying that they might not vote for Biden. Now, say what you will. People should make decisions in the voting booth how they choose to see the world, right? But it is it is childish to be to bemoan the decisions that are being made on the Supreme Court and then not vote, which is essentially then making a decision of acknowledging that someone who shares many of the ideas, if not more bizarre, that the judges share, would then be president. Right. So say what you will, but don't not like this. Don't not like Roe v. Wade. Don't not like, you know, that Biden can't get rid of his student loans and then say but I'm not going to vote. But, uh, but you know, I'm going to sit this one out. Okay. Well, you're sitting out the situation that creates things like this for another generation. Right. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. And just, and just acknowledge that that's happening. Like, take the responsibility of the second level understanding that you're activity has a broader impact on American jurisprudence. Yeah. Absolutely. So,
0: if somebody, just one other legal footnote, still in the debate, I mean, you know, there's part of me for a little bit on that's like, like, I should probably go ahead and figure out somebody to pay for me, like, to go get a law degree. But I'll just be like, I don't know if i want to be, like, practicing law, and that's it, but i just go swear, and I'll write, I'll write real short ones. I mean, it's hard to write short legal essays you ever did in legal writing. Yeah, classes. I was about
1: to say because you I was got about to point, say short legal essays don't really uh you gotta point out all <laughs> your,
0: you gotta point out all the stuff you're arguing against. That's why them things end up being so long. It'd be like, you know, I gotta this case said this, and I don't agree because of these reasons. Then you gotta go to you know, you so that's why it takes so damn long to write them things. Um, but yeah, and just make the rest of my life's job being like, This is the dumbest stuff on earth. Why do we allow why why? Why are we arguing about this? It's like kids outside can't eat, and we out here, you in here, try to tell me that you know that if 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 the institution acknowledges the thing that has been the central feature of the American project for, <laughs> for its entire inception, if it acknowledges it, it is somehow uh run afoul, it's gone too far. It's like, okay, fine, you know, you know, it's, it's okay, I guess, you know, so I don't know, so therefore, you know yeah so I stop something that makes us smile because I don't wanna be you know leave the world um over this uh short moment without something positive so um yeah, uh as an outro a segue a move on a uh, close out of our conversation today
1: um you want to go first sure, sure <laughs> um so you know you pose this, and I think it's important for all of us to think about frankly multiple times a day but at least one time a day. What is something that's making you smile? Because our brain, uh, our brains are structured to think about things that make us upset, right? Our brains are structured to think about things that make us think about things we don't like. So we, you know, also have to give that kind of time and attention to think about what we do like. Because you know, very, you know, uh, like you often share, just like it's important to decide what you care about. And what you think you want to see versus what you are trying to constantly stop seeing mm-hmm. and create the world you want to see. And part of that goes with things like joy and happiness and thinking about what makes you smile. So for me, when I thought about uh, I guess with context, a couple of days ago, the um, African American Directors Forum, which is a national organization, but that started in here in Pittsburgh. Um, which is dedicated to getting more African-American board uh, directors on for-profit firms.
2: Hmm.
1: And that's, you know, being very specific, because one of the things is a lot of us tend to serve on a lot of nonprofit boards, which is, you know, truly amazing volunteer service. But you don't get paid. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. And one of the keys is they got all these other for-profit companies. They guess what? You do get paid. Yep. And it's also a propagation of like, okay, if you're thoughtful enough to then serve on a board where someone gives you one hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars a year to serve on a board. Again, think about what that means when it comes to building wealth. So I'll leave that there. So the African-American Directors Forum is an organization dedicated to that. Um, And so to that end, every year in Pittsburgh, they sponsor a jazz concert at the Manchester Craftsman's Guild. Um, which was, you know, created by Bill Strickland, uh, a brother here from the north side who has done amazing things. Um, We'll soon have a movie done about him, Um, has taken the idea of teaching young people things like horticulture and pottery and gardening and actually taking it globally. He has a center in Israel, a center in Ireland. Um, You know, just uh, amazing, amazing work. But he also has a best-in-class jazz studio. Um, and jazz performance space for uh, jazz artists. And the other day, um, you know, the on, on the invite from the African-American Directors Forum, um, was able to uh, go and hear uh, Samara Joy, Joy, the Grammy Award winning uh, singer. And uh, amazing, amazing show. Um, if you get the chance to see her in person, um, you should do it. Like, don't, you know what it say, don't don't walk run. If
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you get a chance to see her perform. Um, you know, uh one of the brothers actually Bill Strickland said to me he closed his eyes and for 10, 15 minutes, he thought Ella Fitzgerald was there. I mean, she is that good of a performer. Um, and so what it made me think about was that, you know, growing up around jazz. Even in the '80s, you always thought like jazz was like something best done somewhere between 19, you know, 30 and 1968, mm-hmm. right? Like jazz had a time where it was all done. So as a you know, as a result, you're like, okay, who's your favorite jazz artist? And everyone goes Miles Davis, John Coltrane, right. <laughs> and Thelonious Monk. Duke Elyson, right? You know, Louis Armstrong, right? And, and so, my point about that is we tend to look at it at this time that if you're not careful, you can frame it as like calcified in this golden age of jazz. Whereas, you know, the current time of jazz artists, uh, Samara Joe included, you know, Kenyon Harold, uh, you know, over, in, I've talked about London Jazz in the past with Kamal Williams, Youssef Days. Um, obviously here, he's not young, young, but the state of, you know, Robert Glasper, uh, Terrence Martin, you know, Kamasi Washington and, and so many others. I mean, you just have a time where you can say, I like jazz and it doesn't mean you're listening to green sleeves. It doesn't mean you're listening to my favorite things, right? You should still listen to those things, but you don't just have to listen to that. And I would say today's jazz also has the influences of the things around it, whether it's hip hop here, whether it's dubstep um, in in London and England, uh, French jazz, Italian jazz. It, you, you hear so much and it's really good to hear a music that, again, in America is often framed as for old white people, which is some of the dumbest shit in the world. But it happens. Really, have a youthful and diverse face um, as the music moves on.
0: No. Yeah, I I definitely concur. Because, like, and the thing I've had recently is like finding other like jazz or like jazzy kind of artists, you know, scrolling around on Facebook not facebook. Yeah, facebook sometimes but i'm thinking i was thinking instagram like you know like stuff that because i follow certain stuff that then other stuff shows up i'm like oh that's interesting then going on to spotify and like we recommend if you like this recommend listen to that and it's like yeah, oh wow yeah. and, and these are like these are not you know these are new you know artists and so then it you know says to me the idea that one other people are listening to this to these music you know what i'm saying they're not um these arts aren't lost to the world, you know, now maybe the proliferation level of penetration amount of folks that are playing, you know, personally, you know, you know, you're more likely to find a young person that that says they, that, they, you know, what well, I've experienced is folks, especially that were like high school teenage age in the mid two thousands who were like, yeah, man, like freestyling, like rap, like rapping, you know, they themselves don't want to like rap professionally or they don't have any ambitions to like become a rapper. They used to freestyle. With each other, the way maybe in a different age, uh, ki- kids would have been in like jam band because they played you know an instrument a little bit, but they're not trying to be a art you know a musician for a living, but they dabbled, right? Um, but the idea that like kids, young folks, and folks younger than me, I, I, I guess I'll say, are picking up instruments, um, playing music that is not maybe singled around the idea of what we, you know. Um, leaving that tradition behind is where i guess i'm going and so that's, i found it pretty dope and uh and i agree um my made you smile and i was thinking about it a couple of things but i really gonna land on um is uh i mean i've been fans work for a long time but the comedian um ali sadiq um and he released a recent second special on youtube called um uh the domino effect uh, uh, two and his lost and the, the first domino effect uh was um he, he kinda speaks to uh basically this comedian uh, from houston um and he you know speaks quite frankly about like you know his ex- experience in the in the penile system um street life you know also stuff just being black <laughs> being from houston and he's lax and he it makes smile every time I listen some of his pieces. Um, you know, if, if if you probably the one that he's most famous for is the Mexican got on boots story. It was like from uh This Is Not Happening on Comedy Central about eight or nine years ago now, which is still, like I say, one of the most best told stories and comedic description of, of a really dangerous, painful, ugly, multi-level, terrible situation for one to find themselves <laughs> in. Um, but the ability to find the humor in in that situation, um, you know, <laughs> you know, um, and 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 in within his comedy, you know, doing a lot of the aspects as I see it of sort of traditional story based uh, comedy, you know, where I'm telling you these stories, but I'm also like discussing an issue of import and also something that is maybe really painful and detestable to experience, but finding. The space for humor and healing within that um and i and then like it doesn't you know i've seen other interviews of him you know what i mean he seems like the person to me that has a real a real sort of clear line around like who he is values wise and i not you know you know being who we are i respect that you know what i'm saying like you know i have a you know you know i, have a, I think we have a lot of um similar understanding especially around the construct of like honor you know what I'm saying and like your in your own standards for yourself being about you and not other people cuz you know we live in a world where folks get real swishy on on how they treat people you know what I mean D- depending on who they are right and not like right. no nah, this this how I get this is my this is my way you know what I'm saying like this is how I do things so if, if i don't do things that other way and anyway so um but including and and I suggest you can find both of those specials, and he has other like you know records. I think you know specials are from other times, but those are in the last two years, and I think they're really good works. But the uh, closing piece, <laughs> where he basically gets to discuss it is his inability to let go of a grudge, and uh, I don't want to ruin it for those who've never seen it, but um, again, uh, uh, a facet. Although I'm not, I'm not the most my my outward affect these days around the grudges I have, I don't allow them to become as much as a prevalent part of my how I move through the world, but right. believe me, you, as you know it's some people you, you on the island forever you ain't never coming back like you out
2: <laughs> or outside the
0: Raji circle of protection, and therefore <laughs> I can't account for you no more um and uh yeah, so and you know, I like comedy and I think in terms of. Current comedians that are doing good work. Uh, I feel like he's he's one of the best. And um, you know, I'm hopeful that he will continue to, you know, to, to flourish in, in what he's doing. And um uh, I look, you know, it makes me smile. make you know I me mean? but my mom has uh some of the clips that I was like, Oh, you gotta watch the whole show, mom. you've seen clips from this show from the from the Diamond Effect? you gotta watch the whole thing because you you're missing some of the best parts. So in any event, that makes me smile. And um, you know, I suggest everybody um you know go find something bring a little joy to life um I, I, that's
1: right the, the world is you know the world is rough enough you know what i mean and the fact of finding spaces of joy or something that people have always been able to do even with you know really tough stuff right like so mm-hmm. it's even shit i disagree with that i get why people do it because they're trying to find a sense of joy now sometimes there's other politics around your sense of joy (laughs) or how you derive your sense of joy (laughs) right man let me tell you but absolutely but it's important to try to find it and try to find it in ways that also allow you to build a a personal sense of joy but then also how do you build collective senses of joy yeah so i'm with you all
0: right so that i mean i say peace
1: peace thank you for listening to good brothers
0: Thank you to my good brother, Majestic. Uh, good Brothers is a part of the Ask Your Own Head podcast, and you can support the podcast by listening, sharing, and rating and subscribing wherever you listen. You can also support the podcast by becoming a patron. Head to Patreon, search Justice Raji, and you can, uh, you know, be I'm a part of the small, elite cadre of folks at Current uh, who make a monthly contribution that helps me offset the cost of being creative. Um, and as I keep doing this and keep building, uh, you know, you could be a part of that fun you know, at some point. So in any event, man, as always, enjoy the podcast, listen to the conversations, hopefully take something that is meaningful and useful to you and pass it on if you feel so inclined. So with that, I'm going to say, Be safe and see you next time. Peace.